Unnaturally Savvy. We only take sponsors that we believe in. We know they have good quality products that are good for you. Uh, this month we are sponsored by, I hope I say this right, uh, Wakunaga of America. They're the makers of Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract, Kylodophilus Probiotics, and Kyo Green Powdered Green Drink Mix. All naturally healthy solutions to support your well-being. Kyo means strength. You can learn more at www kyolic.com that's k-y-o-l-i-c and now more than ever not only do we need to strengthen our emotional health we also need to strengthen our physical health so i mean i'm a garlic fanatic so i'm super excited it's a great product i'm andrea donsky founder of morphus powered by naturally savvy and today we are going to be talking about mindset and healthy eating. And I'm here with Ricky Heller. I've known Ricky for a while and it's the first time I, we've actually had a conversation. So I'm really excited to have you on our show, Ricky. And we're going to talk about everything that's going on with self-isolation and mindset. And I know you are a coach, a healthy eating coach. So do a quick intro to who you are and then we're going to jump right in. So I'm so glad to be here. Um, so yeah, I'm a healthy eating coach. I work with people who are on restricted diets for health reasons, and I help them to stick with it for the long term. So if someone is struggling adapting to eating this way, or they find that they are um, able to stick with it for a while, and they keep falling off the wagon, what we look at is the long term. How can you adapt so that you love eating again, you love your food, mm -hmm. and you can still live a really happy life? Now, I know that you were, you know, you post, you know, well, I look at all your recipes and you post a lot about healthy eating. So you've been doing this since 2015 full time. And I know yeah. that you have a specialty. Can you talk a little bit about what your specialty is and now how, where you've gone to becoming a coach to help people with healthy eating? Sure. So as you know, I started off, really, I started studying holistic nutrition and became a holistic nutritionist because of my own struggle with candida and chronic candida. And so um, when I began, I was actually working exclusively with people who also had candida, which requires a very restricted diet. So that kind of morphed into sugar-free, egg-free, dairy-free, gluten-free, which are all the frees that we have to follow on that diet. And after working with people who had candida for so many years, I, it just began to expand because I found that people with food allergies or people who were diabetic or, or had to eat those kinds of restrictions for whatever reasons were coming to my site. And primarily I, I began as a recipe developer, but over the years I had so many people ask me like, how have you stuck with it this long? And I developed a program for people with candida, but I realized that it would be useful for so many other people too, who were just struggling to stick with maybe their gluten-free diet, or if they were diagnosed with certain sensitivities where they had to cut out certain foods. Um, and so then we, I started a program called Reclaim, which actually looks at sticking with it through the long term and what are the different steps that you have to really master in order for that to happen. So why do you think it is that people don't stick to healthy eating in general? I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think a big part of it is just the way our society's built. Um, you know, people work long hours, they work outside the home, they come home, they have 20 minutes to make dinner. The easiest thing is to throw something prepared in the microwave. And I think we've lost the, for so many people anyway, we've lost the ability to cook from scratch and it doesn't feel like fun anymore. Like I grew up with my mom who was a baker and my sisters and I would gather around the bowl and she was making her cookies or whatever. It was like a fun family event, honestly. We loved watching my mom bake. And so we all wanted to learn how to do that. But I think 
just the way our society is built and, and the fact that so many people commute, it's become harder and harder to have those kind of skills in your life. So that's one thing. And I also think um, junk food's really addictive. So it, mm. it's very easy to learn to eat processed foods, high sugar, high fat, high salt, really, really addictive. So yeah, I think that's part of it. And you know, going out to eat is fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. yeah, no, it definitely is. And yeah. you know, and I think you're right. I think it definitely, I think it's easy, easy, easy convenience. And especially when everybody is so busy, it's one of those things that you can just grab for things, right? As opposed yeah. to actually sitting and making it. Now, the funny thing is, is I'm a holistic nutritionist like you are, and I don't love to cook. It's not one of those things that, yeah, like it's one of those things that I'll do it. I will do it, but I don't absolutely love it. But my, my little one loves to cook and she keeps saying that she wants to be, when she's older, that she wants to be, you know, a, um, a chef or something. Like she, and she loves to do it with me. And part of the reason why I do it is because she loves to do it. So yeah. it, it's, it, I could see the convenience factor being a very big thing, but it, it takes yeah. organization. It takes planning. You know what? It's like any other skill though, right? Like I think we are sort of trained to believe that it's something that is hard to do and it's really, really not. Uh, just a, a quick example. I was before all this started with uh, coronavirus where we are right now, but I was away uh, last month with some friends at a condo in Florida. And in fact, you know, I was the only one who eats the way I eat. So that was fine. Everybody was great with it, which was wonderful. They would go and buy their food or order their food and I would cook my food. And the last evening they were having Chinese takeout and I was cooking like beans beans or something in a saucepan. And my friend turned around, they were waiting at the table for me to finish up so I could join them. And she said like, do you always have to take this long to cook your food? She was just amazed. But what I realized later was the time, it took me like 25 minutes to make that dinner. The time it took them to drive to the Chinese restaurant, pick up their food and drive back was mm-hmm. the same amount of time. Yeah. So it isn't necessarily that it's hard or that it really does take longer than we realize. I think it's training. It's like anything. You learn, you learn to play an instrument. In the beginning, it's hard. Eventually, it becomes really easy. And what do you find that when, you, when you're working as a health coach with your clients, what do you find that they're getting out of it? Like that the testimonials that are coming back from them, that you're helping them change their life? For so many of these people, I think it actually boils down more to the way they feel about themselves and their lives. So as an example, you know, like I can think back when I was first diagnosed with candida and I radically changed my diet. It's a really difficult transition because your friends aren't used to eating you eating this way. And as I was saying, like, it's so societal. So we are trained to, you know, I had one friend, for instance, who virtually everything we did together involved eating in restaurants and drinking wine. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do any of those things anymore, right? So it changes your relationships. And I think for a lot of people, there's, um, it's very, very difficult because it requires really being firm in who you are and being grounded in what you're doing and the desire to really implement those changes for your own personal good and health. And for, as you know, like for so many women, especially women of our era, we're really much more inclined to be wanting to help other people. It's so, we're so outward looking that to stand in your ground in a situation like that doesn't feel good for a lot of people. And I think that's what people came out of the program with more than anything else was they really got to know and value themselves to the extent that they were able then to stand up for what was best in their own best interests, even when other people might not have been as comfortable with it. You make a good point because it does take 
it takes a lot of self-esteem to basically say, okay, I'm doing this for me. And I've been called so many different names. Oh, she's crazy. She's this, she's that because I am very strict with what I'm eating. And it got to the point where eventually, yes, it does isolate you from some people who just completely make fun of you for eating a certain way versus those who understand that you're doing it. I'm not, I don't, I've long gone are the days where I'm literally telling everyone around me what they should do other than maybe my kids, you know, my husband, of course, I'm like, okay, enough with the sugar, enough with eating all the bad stuff. But really I do this because it makes me feel better. Yeah. And I think it comes to a point where we really have to say to ourselves, I'm doing this for me and it's okay if other people don't understand or they're making fun of me and it becomes a mindset really for us and, and a mantra for ourselves. Yeah. And I think with so many of my clients anyway, it was at the point where it was actually detrimental to their own health. They were eating things they knew were going to make them sick the next day so that their mother-in-law wouldn't be upset with them or so that, so that their friends wouldn't keep teasing them about, oh, come on, it's only one slice of pizza, it's only one glass of wine or whatever it might be. And knowing that they were going to feel ill the next day. And to me, that's just, I mean, we're not asking other people to eat the way we eat, like you just said, right? But I think you have to be really clear in what's working for you. And when it boils down to it, like if you're a mom with kids or if you have a high powered job or whatever it might be and you have responsibilities, if you're not well, you're not going to be able to do that effectively. So it's not just for you. It's for everyone else in your life too. It's true. And you posted something recently on Instagram that I loved it, which is why I reached out to you. And we talked about mindset and being in self-isolation and quarantine. And it's taking a toll on many people because you, if you get to a point where you're becoming a little bit, you know, batty and all these things, you're kind of cooped <laughs> up in your house, right? And I wanted you to share that mindset with our listeners and our viewers, because I think it's really important that we understand perspective. Yeah. I mean, and I think, well, maybe not so much you, but I work at home. I work online all the time. So this doesn't feel that different for me. And I think what we have to, well, I really think we're in a new normal now. I, you know, this is going to be time limited. I don't know how long it's going to be, but the fact is we are eventually going to get out of our houses. And I think for so many people, it's such an adjustment that it can be difficult at times. And I think that's fine. And one of the things you see online, there's so much there, there's both, as I said, I think we see the best of humanity and the worst of humanity in times like this. But at the same time, if you're feeling stressed out, if you're feeling nervous, I, I think the first step is to acknowledge that that's just natural because we are not used to being separated from our family, colleagues, friends, the malls, whatever it is, right? We're not used to being home all the time. But at the same time, I really, really believe this, that when we come out of this, the world's going to be different. You know, so much of what we see online, the, the good that we see online, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing people coming together that you never would have seen come together otherwise. The fact that it is global, it is every human being on this planet in some way or another is being affected by this at the same time. When is the last time we could say that happened? So there, there's a lot that's positive that's happening now. And for me, and this goes back to what I was saying about Candida, you know, when I was diagnosed initially in two, well, I was diagnosed way back when, but then in 2009, horrible, horrible illness that went on for like six months and nobody knew what was wrong with me. I had sinus infections. I was so sick that I remember one doctor's appointment. I came home with my husband. He had to take me because I couldn't drive myself. I had like a hundred and three fever. I had to literally crawl up the stairs on my hands and knees to get into bed. I was so weak. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is never going to end. And then finally I had this diagnosis and I had to change my life. It was horrible. I thought that it was the end of the world. 
And now, of course, in retrospect, I can see that was the catalyst for me to quit my job, change my career, start this online business. So, you know, it can be difficult to see it in the moment, but I think it's really important that we consider that there might be something good that comes out of this, at least go that far, right? I think there will be something good that comes out of this and to think about what that might be. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Really, so many changes are possible. One of the things that I've been doing daily is gratitude and I do it regardless and gratitude. When I wake up in the morning, I just say, I'm thankful for what I have, whether it's one thing, whether it's 10 things, it doesn't matter. And I think gratitude really helps is being grateful for what we, what we do have, even though we're in such a, you know, like you said, a new normal. I love that. And it's a practice that I do as well. Um, so there are many different ways that people do this, but you know, I, I just, in my journal every morning, I write down five, five things for which I'm grateful. And just recently, I've been doing this for a long time too, but just recently I read, and I can't remember who it was, I'm sorry, but um, someone who, who said that apparently studies have shown that it has to be a specific thing that you write down. So you can't just say, I'm grateful for my husband or I'm grateful for my dogs. It has to be something, a specific event or item. So I'm grateful that my husband washed the dishes last night, you know, or that kind of thing. I'm grateful for the half an hour of playtime I had with my dogs because apparently that uh, your brain responds differently to something like that. But that, I, I mean, it's been life changing for me to do this kind of gratitude uh, every day because people who've known me for a long time, like my friends uh, who I've had friends since I was five and six years old, they've seen me go through these transitions. But I come from a household that was really quite negative like both my parents very pessimistic and my mom was the kind of person who I don't know you know anything that happened she would immediately leap in her mind to the worst case scenario so it's been a lot of work to get this to this point and just to say for people who may feel like well you know what could there possibly be that's positive to look at right now you can train your brain to look at the positive and to be more positive because I've done it. So um, even if it feels silly, writing that stuff down every day, and it has to be written down, right? Because otherwise it doesn't have the same effect either. But writing that stuff down every day, wait a month or two, and you will see a difference in the way you feel day to day. Yeah, writing it down or saying it. I mean, I've been, I haven't been writing it down as much because I've been saying it. But yeah, and it, it reminds me of the goal journaling, right? Of the study out of Harvard. And they're saying that if you actually write down your goals, they're more apt to come true. So yeah, um, exactly. it comes around the same thing. You know, a, a lot of our audience is women or women who are in perimenopause and menopause. What kind of advice would you have for us women who may not, you know, who are going through these changes and may not be able to eat the way we were able to eat prior to this life change? What, what, what's that, what are some tips you could give us and share to make it a little bit easier for us when it comes to our food? So you're talking about regardless of of the circumstances in the world yeah, right now. In so, general, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, for me, I found that it wasn't, uh, I guess because I was eating that way before, but moving to whole grains from, from refined foods or moving to whole foods from refined foods, I think is a huge step. And for a lot of people who, you know, I don't eat a lot of bread. I don't eat a lot. I eat chickpea pasta now instead of wheat pasta or whatever. But I think for a lot of people, that would be a large transition. But what I want to let you know is there are foods and even prepared foods out there that you can get that will just replicate that. So if you're missing things like bread, you can make breads that are grain-free or you can buy breads that are grain-free that will sort of get the same job done in terms of 
the emotional response to it. Because I think so much of what we eat, it's either an emotional reaction, habitual, or it's like a comfort food kind of thing. So I know for me, like giving up chocolate just wasn't in the cards. It just wasn't going to happen. Even when I had to cut out sugar, I, I found a way to make my own chocolate before there were sugar-free chocolates on the market, right? Because I just knew I couldn't do without that. So I guess that's one advantage I have having been a recipe developer, right? Because I can recreate pretty much anything in a healthier form. And I feel like you never have to give up a food you love if it's whatever it is, if it's pancakes, pizza, pasta, it doesn't matter. There's always a way to have it in a healthier version that's going to be good for your body. Yeah, I like that. So whole, going to whole grains and there's so many good alternative grains like millet and quinoa and all these, you know, buckwheat, all these grains that maybe you never tried before that now would be a good time to try it, making sure that we're getting our fiber, making sure that we're hydrated. Now the sugar thing is a big one and also the dairy thing is a big one for, for many people because dairy is in so many different foods. What are some good alternatives that you recommend for let's say, you know, butter or, you know, things, milk that people are using in recipes or cooking with? Yeah. And, and I actually have a whole course on how to substitute for gluten, dairy and eggs and sugars. So, um, I think it's funny with the milk, I always kind of laugh because alternative milks, to me, that's the easiest thing to substitute is for milk or cream because there are so many alternative milks on the market. I don't know. Uh, recently on Instagram, I was sh showing, I tried a recipe for oat milk, homemade oat milk, because we ran out. Now we were waiting for an order to come through. That wasn't so great, I gotta say. But something like cashew milk is so easy and, and, and you know, it, it works every time. But never mind making it yourself. There are cartons and cartons in the stores now. So you can, you can buy any kind of nut milk. There are so many seed milks. There's oat milk. There's potato milk. There's chickpea milk. All these different milks. Um, and what I find is depending on your purpose, you might want to, you know, all, use a different alternative depending on what you're going to use it for. So if it's just for drinking and you're looking for a delicious taste, I would go with something like cashew milk. It's rich and creamy oh, or almond milk so is really nice. Good. You love it? Oh my God. It's like my favorite. <laughs> I know. I love it. Cashews are like the miracle food. You can make anything out of cashews. You could probably make a car out of cashews. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're great. But yeah, but for something like baking, cashew, would you want to go with like a nut milk or even chickpea, something that's higher in protein because that replicates the uh, chemical effect of milk in your final product, right? Of dairy milk. But for sure, milk, I would say, is the easiest to substitute. When you get to things like, I know most of my clients, they say they miss cheese the most. And um, so I'm, again, like I, I, I don't have a lot of that stuff that, that I miss because I was never huge on just eating that. But there are many, many hard cheese uh, replacements if, if you're familiar with Dea and, um, like that's the only one I buy because I usually make my own. But there, uh, you probably know more of the brand names than I would for something like a hard cheese replacement. Yeah. But they will melt like cheese. You can use them on top of pizza. You can put them on top of your pasta, whatever. Uh, cream cheese is made out of cashews. It's like the easiest thing to make at home or you can buy it. The reason I tend to make most, most of this stuff at home, well, there's two reasons. is You know exactly what's going in it and it's much more economical and I'm you know, I grew up in a house with, you know, uh, depression era parents. So I'm always looking for the economical, but um, you can certainly buy lots of spreadable cheeses. They have flavors, herbs, garlic, whatever, delicious. And then butter, I tend to use, um, it's Nutiva brand, I think, if it's okay to say. Um, it's a coconut oil, but it's butter flavored. 
but then there are things like earth balance that people tell me tastes just like butter. I don't tend to use it, but um, yeah. it looks yeah. just like butter. So it's really not that, that difficult once you find those alternatives and you have the recipes that show you how to use them if you want to make something from scratch. What about sugar? Because a lot of people, that's a hard one for many people. What do you recommend for people who are trying to get off sugar? I would say it would depend on what situation you're in. Like if you're like me and you're, or if you're on a keto diet, if you're on a candida diet and you can't have any high glycemic sweeteners at all, so you don't want to spike your blood sugar at all, then you have to go with things like stevia or the um, sugar alcohols like erythritol or xylitol. Lacanto is a good brand. It's erythritol plus monk fruit. Mm. Monk fruit sweetener is a, it's actually a fruit that they dry and it's very sweet, but they usually do combine it with something like erythritol. Yeah. Which is, you know, delicious. And, um, people's, you know, things like the erythritol or the xylitol, there's no aftertaste at all. It just tastes like sugar basically. And it won't spike your blood sugar. The only problem there, some people say they have a little bit of digestive distress, like you might get gassy with it. But over time, your body will adapt if you start in small amounts. Yeah. So those are the ones for people. But if you're someone who can eat basically whatever you want, you're just looking for a healthier alternative, then for sure you want to go for something like Sucanat, which is just um, dehydrated cane juice, and it's unrefined. Or something like a maple sugar or maple syrup. Is um, I'm thinking all the dry sweeteners because most people want that that kind of sweetener but if you're going for liquids there's i know there's still agave nectar i wouldn't use it a lot i would just uh, use it a little yeah, bit yeah because of the fructose yeah. content yeah you know what uh, one of the things that i find a hard i was trying to replace it and i like i was baking this weekend and it called for brown sugar so i was using coconut palm but in my mm -hmm. baking i find it doesn't come out the same so would you recommend using it or what can i do to make it taste like yeah. brown sugar would in a recipe yeah, so there's two things. Coconut palm sugar, um, I found when I used to use a lot of it, and now Lakanto has a golden Lakanto that tastes like, or it smells like brown sugar. Um, but what I find with the, the coconut sugar, it's so, so much more granular, I don't know if you've noticed that, that it doesn't dissolve the same way. So yeah. I would always grind it up in my coffee grinder first to powder it. But what you can do if you want to replicate the exact same flavor is, all, brown sugar is literally, these days, it's no longer the original brown sugar, which was unrefined sugar. It's white sugar to which they add back some molasses to make it taste like oh, it would have. Okay. So just put a teaspoon or half a teaspoon of blackstrap molasses in with your ingredients, and that will give it the same flavor. Would that work with the xylitol? Because the thing when you, you want it to become crispy, not soggy, right? So would that work yeah. the same way? So let's say I was, I, I don't, I don't, wouldn't use white sugar. I would use, let's say a xylitol or the yeah. just put in a teaspoon of the molasses into that and that'll recreate it. It'll, it'll recreate the flavor. And then, you know, depending on, so if I were doing a recipe, I would have to look at how much dry, how much wet there is, and then adjust for that because when you're making the switch, oftentimes with um, sugar-free baking, you either need to add more moisture because those things will, especially xylitol, when it cools, it becomes very crackly and very dry. So you sometimes have to add more moisture. But like I also always bake gluten-free, so I'm working with um, binders like a like a guar gum or a xanthan gum or ground up or you know psyllium husk or something like that. You always have to think about how you're going to hold it together as well. So there are all these different factors you have to consider. It would depend on the recipe. I know my, my baking when I whenever I follow a recipe exactly, it's great. But then when I start to like 
you know, substitute things on my own to make it my dairy free, my gluten free, my all of that free, my grain free, then it's like, yeah, it falls apart. It's just, I'm experimenting though. I do love to bake. Yeah. I, that's Send me thing. the recipe. I'll fix it. I'll change it for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's very sweet of you. So for, you know, for people who are listening and they're like, oh my God, Ricky, I, I want recipes. I want your help. How could they find more about you, find out more about you and maybe get some recipes or if they're interested in your course? Sure. So I'm at rickyheller.com. That's my blog. I'm basically Ricky Heller everywhere. So Instagram slash Ricky Heller. Um, on Facebook, it's Ricky Heller page. But if you go to the site, uh, rickyheller.com, there's an index of recipes. There's close to 900 recipes on there now. And they're all free of sugar, gluten, eggs, and dairy. Uh, Reclaim comes out just once a year. So you can get on the waiting list and, and there's there's a link there. Um, there's a tab that says work with me, but right now I'm working with one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. So people can either contact me directly or apply through the link on my site as well. And what can they expect when they're working with you one-on-one? Did you take them through a menu plan? What are they going to, you know, other than obviously mindset and learning how to eat healthy, what can they expect? So there, there are different aspects to living the lifestyle and that's really what we're, we're looking at. But the coaching sessions are geared towards the specific challenges of each client. So depending on what their food issues are, we could look at specific recipes and like what I just offered to you, I will take recipes and adapt them. Um, some people who've never cooked before, some of it is learning how to cook for them. And then we also look at more so than the recipes, we look at the life challenges. Where are they having trouble sticking with it? What are the situations that cause them to slip up? And what can we then do to ensure that that doesn't happen going forward? I love that you have the combination of being a nutritionist and a coach, because I think ultimately nutritionists are coach, but you have the actual skills to be both, which I think is pretty incredible. And people will, you know, please, if you have any questions, call Ricky, connect with Ricky because she knows what she's doing. And if you follow on Instagram, you'll be like, oh my God, this looks so good. And oh my God, <laughs> I want to make this. You're like so inspirational with your cooking because you're always posting something delicious looking on your Instagram feed. So that's where I follow you. So it's uh, very cool. Instagram. It's fun. <laughs> I know, right? It is fun. Well, thank you so much, Ricky. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our viewers and our listeners before we go? Well, I just thank you for listening. It's been great chatting with you and lots of fun. And I hope to hear from some of you. Perfect. Well, have stay well and be safe. And uh, hopefully we will be able to all leave our homes soon enough. And um, But in the meantime, please check out Ricky and we'll put all the information below in the description. On Naturally Savvy, we only take sponsors that we believe in. We know they have good quality products that are good for you. Uh, this month we are sponsored by, I hope I say this right, uh, Wakunaga of America. They're the makers of Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract, Kylodophilus Probiotics, and Kyo Green Powdered Green Drink Mix. All naturally healthy solutions to support your will being Kyo means strength. You can learn more at www.kyolic.com. That's K-Y-O-L-I-C. And now more than ever, not only do we need to strengthen our emotional health, we also need to strengthen our physical health. So, I mean, I'm a garlic fanatic, so I'm super excited. It's a great product.